0: children are dismissed at this time to children's worship. Exodus chapter 3, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, uh, you may not know that we've been uh, doing a sermon series through the book of Philippians, and then for Advent we took a break from that and did a series called The Christmas Gifts. where We're looking at various gifts that God has given us in Christ. And we will be returning to our series, uh, to conclude our series on Philippians uh, next week and, uh, or possibly the week after, um, but we'll be returning to that with about probably three or possibly four more messages in that series. But for this Sunday, I want to do something a little bit different as we stand at the uh, end of uh, 2021 and look ahead to 2022. Um, I wanted us to, to, to ponder the theme of God's call and so we do that from Exodus chapter three. We're going to, I'm going to read this for, this morning, Exodus three verses seven through 14, but the message is really based on uh, chapters three and four, so it's, it's a kind of a broad scope, uh, looking at those, those two chapters together, and so the, the message will walk us through those verses. Let's uh, bow as we ask for God's anointing on His word this morning. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray, O Lord, that your word would come alive in our hearts as we listen, as we come, Lord, together in faith under the authority of your word. Lord, speak to us in a way that you would have us here, and may it bear fruit in our lives, O Lord, that would be for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. This is a familiar scene of God calling to Moses from the burning bush and the people of Israel, or not Israel at this time, God's people, they're not Israel yet, God's people, have been uh, in uh, slavery and oppression to Egypt for some 400 years. Exodus 3, verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. You may be seated. As we stand at the threshold of a new year, I want us to consider this morning how we respond when God calls. And God may be calling you to any number of things. It may be that God is calling you to serve in some ministry. Maybe God is calling you to walk with a friend through a dark time. Or to share the gospel with neighbors and friends. Or simply to endure faithfully through a season of grief and sorrow. Or or to live faithfully as a disciple of Jesus in an environment that is hostile to his truth. To be the people of God in the world is to be a people called to serve in his kingdom Those who are disciples of Jesus are called to be disciple makers. And whatever the exact nature of the call, the fact is that the demands of discipleship are daunting. The call to serve is a hard call. It stretches us, it it calls us out of our comfort zones, it demands much of our time and our energy, and sometimes when God calls, everything within us resists the call. And that's really the way it was for Moses when God called to him from the burning bush. God had seen the misery of his people in Egypt, and he heard them crying out after years of oppression. So God determined to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land of oppression and slavery and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the mission that God had in his mind to accomplish, but it it wasn't his intent to accomplish that mission on his own. As he so often does throughout redemption history, he would do it through a human servant. And so it was that out of a burning bush, the call of God came to Moses. We see the call in verse 10 of chapter 3 where God said to him, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Well, that's, that's the call. That's, that's the call that God gives to Moses out there in the desert from the burning bush. And what a daunting call it was. The people of Israel, God's people at this time had grown to a great multitude. They've been living in Egypt for some 400 years. And they were now suffering under the hand of one of the most powerful men in the world. And God says to Moses, who was 80 years old at this time and living a quiet life as a shepherd in this lonely kind of refuge sort of land, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. How do you respond? When God calls. Well, like so many of us, uh, Moses objected to the call. The task was too daunting. The call was too hard. I, there's so many reasons why it can't be me. And in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, Moses gives five objections to the call of God. And in, in these uh, five objections, we see our own objections. So these are not just unique to Moses, these are common objections that we as God's people also give when God calls to us. And, to each, and so we're going to look at these five objections, not only from Moses' perspective, but to see how they are ours as well. And to each of these objections, we see how God graciously responds. So the first objection is that we question our worthiness. Uh, Moses says to God in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who, who am I to, to do such a, a daunting thing? I mean, Pharaoh was the king of this mighty nation. Moses was a no-name shepherd from an undistinguished family living on a little family farm in Midian. The staff of a shepherd has nothing to do with the sword of a king. So who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And Moses was really the first in a long line of servants who raised this very objection when God called. God called the prophet Isaiah, who said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. God called Gideon, who said, how can I save Israel? My my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. God called Jeremiah, who said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. God called Paul, who said, I'm the least of the apostles. I was a persecutor of the church. And for so many of us, this is our objection as well. Moses said to God, who am I? And we say the same thing. God, the task is too big. The calling is too hard. I'm not fit for this. Who am I to think that that God would do something great for the kingdom through me? And God's response to this objection is simply this. I will be with you. That's what he says to Moses in verse 12. I will be with you. It doesn't matter how small you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how how young or old you are. It doesn't matter if you live in a brick mansion or a trailer park. God doesn't even address the social standing of Moses. He says nothing about who Moses is or whether he's fit for the task. It doesn't matter. He simply says, I will be with you. Because that's the only thing that matters. If God is with us and there is no limit to what we can do, the task doesn't depend on us. It never has. It depends only on God. So who am I? Moses says to God, I'm not worthy. And God says, it doesn't matter. I will be with you. That's the first objection. The second objection is that we question God's character. We read in verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And this objection is really rooted in a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge or a lack of of certainty as to who god really is as to what his character really is because as we've seen before the the name a name in the bible is never just a name a name is a summary of the essence of a person's character And so by asking what God's name is, Moses is questioning whether or not God can really accomplish what he is promising. God, do you you really have what it takes to to do what you've said you will do? He's been the God of the forefathers. Will he be the God of Israel? Because you see, this is an unprecedented situation. Egypt is a world power with a pantheon of gods exerting lordship over every aspect of life. The Pharaoh himself claimed divine descent. The fame of God's name has not yet been established among the nations. And so the question is how will how will God match up against the gods of Egypt? What will he be able to do for those under the oppressive hand of this powerful nation? If they ask me your name, O oh God, what should I tell them? What is your character? Do you really have what it takes to do this? And God's response to this objection is, I am. He says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Those are some of the the most profound verses in Scripture. And I've preached in detail on these specific verses a few times. so I'm not going to say a whole lot about them now, but the important point is that when God refers to himself as I am, he's making a staggering claim about himself. He uses the Hebrew verb chaya, which means to be. It is the verb of existence. And so what God is saying to Moses from the burning bush is that he is self-defining, that he is the eternally self-existent one. He is the very ground of existence. He is unable to be, to be narrowed down or confined. Every other person and every other so-called God in the universe has a predicate. I am the king of Egypt. I am a shepherd from Midian. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm, I'm a child. I'm this or I'm that. God is the only being who is able to identify himself as simply I am. And like Moses, we are prone to question God's character we wonder with him, do you really have what it takes to accomplish this task to which you have called? Are you really able to carry it out to completion? And God says, I am the eternally self-existing one, the very source of all existence. I am above all and in all and all things hold together in me. So yes, I am able to do what I said I would do. The third objection is that we question how people will respond. Moses said to God in chapter 4, verse 1, Well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? It's a common objection for those in ministry. Do I I really want to step out in, in obedience to this? Because what if it's not received well? The first objection had to do with Moses' own worthiness. The second has to do with God's character. This, this third one has to do with, how, with the people to whom he will speak. You never know how people are going to respond. What if they just don't buy it? What if, what if you go to the people with this message of, of hope and truth burning in your soul and they, and they don't receive it, they just shrug their shoulders and say, ah, it's really not for me. What if they ridicule you? What if they scoff at you? What if they mock you for your message? God's response to this objection is, I will display my sovereign power through you. God gave Moses three signs to use to help convince the people. The first was the sign of the snake. God told Moses to throw his staff onto the ground and it turned into the snake and Moses ran away from it. and then God instructed him to pick the snake up by the tail and he did and it turned back into a staff again. The second sign was the sign of leprosy. God told Moses to put his hand inside his cloak, and when he did, it turned white as snow. And God told him to put it back into his cloak, and he put it out, pulled it out again, and it was restored to perfectly whole and healthy flesh. The third sign was a sign of blood. God told Moses to take water from the Nile and to pour it onto the dry ground, and the water would turn to blood. And these three signs were meant to help persuade the people that it really was God who sent Moses to them. But beyond that, the signs also sent a a powerful message about the sovereignty of God over all of life. Because these three signs addressed three things that were at the very heart of Egyptian culture and life. The sign of the snake sent a message about their political system. The Pharaoh of Egypt wore a headdress and on that headdress, on the front of that headdress was an image of a snake. And the snake was a symbol of his power over the lives of his subjects. It was a symbol of fear that, that, you know, uh, when you see the snake, you know that I have authority over you. And so for God to turn the staff of a common shepherd into a snake shows his sovereignty over all political realms, his sovereignty over worldly power. The sign of leprosy sent a message about their health system. The Egyptians believed that different gods were responsible for different aspects of life, and so one of the many gods they served was the god of health. And so if you had a health issue, a health problem, you would cry out to this god of health, and he would be the one who who would help you. And so for God to make the hand of Moses full of leprosy just like that and then completely healthy again would show that he alone is truly sovereign over disease and health and more than that, that he alone is sovereign over all gods and is in fact the only true God. The sign of blood sent a message about their economic system. The Nile was the primary source of Egypt's prosperity. Everything was tied to the flowing water of the Nile, their agriculture, their their business, their commercial enterprise. Everything was tied to the Nile. For God to make the water of the Nile turn to blood shows his sovereignty over their economy and livelihood. He has the power to turn a nation's profits into losses just like that. And these signs continue to send a message to us as well that God is still sovereign over every square inch of existence. He is sovereign over the unknowns. He's sovereign over our ministries and the responses of the people that we are called to serve. He's sovereign over our budget. He's sovereign over our health. He's sovereign over our government. And what this means for us is that we have no ground for worry or anxiety. And we can trust the one who holds all things in his hands. The fourth objection is that we question our natural abilities. We read in verse 10 Moses said to the Lord, I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I I don't have what it takes, he says. It's not within my skill set. I I, I can pull out the folder for my spiritual gifts assessment and show you that this one's not on the list. And how many times have we used the same excuse? God, I really don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Somebody else can do that one. God, I'm really not an encourager by nature. I, I knew a pastor uh, who said, uh, it was a friend of mine he's, who has since died. But he, uh, while he was still living, he, he said that he, he told me one, one day about his story, his journey, how he came to be a pastor. And so he told me how he had a learning disability when he was growing up. And on top of that, and so it took him forever to read, he was a really slow reader, he didn't do well in school, and on top of that, he had a speech impediment, and so school was just a brutal experience for him. And so he kind of stumbled his way through high school, got really low grades, and, and then he got a job in a factory. And after he'd been working in a factory for several years, he felt called, he just felt this call of God to become a pastor, and he thought, well, that can't be right. That, that, it can't be me. And so he kept ignoring the call, resisting the call, and saying, no, that must be somebody else. You know, how in the world could I do that? Because he said he, he knew himself too well. He would never be able to handle college. He said, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not fit for college. And much less, he said, am I fit for seminary? And how could he possibly preach when he could barely even speak intelligibly when, when people had a hard time understanding what he says? So he just dismissed it over and over again. But the call didn't go away. And so he, he went to college. He, st- he took that first step of obedience and said, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'll go to college and we'll see what go, you know, where it goes from there. So he went to college. And after college, he went on to seminary. And he graduated with a Master of Divinity and he became a pastor. And beyond that, he became a fairly significant uh, role within classes and within the denomination. And he was beaming as he told me that story. And he said, in these words, he said, all of that, all of that was humanly impossible. When I first sensed God, he said, it was, it was utterly, completely, totally, humanly impossible. He said, I, I'm a modern day Moses. Every step of the way, God did for me what I knew I could not do on my own. I'm slow of speech and tongue, Moses said. And the expression in Hebrew is literally, I'm heavy of mouth. I I don't have what it takes. I can't speak correctly. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have the words. I I don't have, it's not my thing to be able to to persuade people with, with my speech. And God's response to this objection is, I will help you. He says to Moses in verses 11 and 12, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and I will teach you what to say. In other words, you have a heavy mouth, Moses. Well, guess what? I gave you your mouth. It's up to me what comes out of your mouth. If I want to make you stutter for my glory, I'll make you stutter. If I want to move a nation with your words, then I will open up your mouth to speak. There are no disabilities in the kingdom of God. There are only different ways to display my glory. So if I want to deliver my people through your words, I'll do it. So go, and I'll help you to speak, and I'll teach you what to say. In fact, I would, I would dare say that the most effective and the most fruitful servants are not those who have the natural ability and rely on their own natural abilities to do so, but those who think they don't have anything and we're close to the natural ability to do what God calls them to do, and so they are utterly dependent on God, and God does amazing things for His glory through those kinds of servants. See, we have to understand that when God calls, it's not about us It's never about us. The success of his call doesn't depend on our natural abilities. You don't don't have to be a gifted evangelist to share the good news with neighbors and friends. You don't have to be a scholar to lead a Bible study. You don't have to be full of wisdom to disciple someone. And you don't have to take a speech class to be a preacher. You don't have to have natural talent. Like I said, it's a lot of times best if you don't. You just have to obey. And step out in faith and open your heavy mouth. and Then watch what God will do. The final objection is that we question God's decision to send us. Uh, Moses said in verse 13, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now this, this, this is it's kind of comical at this point. This final objection is just rooted in timidity. At this point, Moses is completely out of reasons. He's, all, he's exhausted all of his legitimate objections before God. And so he, he's questioned himself, he's questioned God, he's questioned others, and God has sufficiently responded to each and every objection. There's nothing left to question. And now it's just a matter of the heart. In the end, he just doesn't want to be the one to go. That's what it comes down to. God just sends somebody else. And God's response to this resistance in his heart, this spirit of timidity, is a mixture of anger and grace. We read in verse 14 then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. You know, he has patiently listened to to all of his questions, he's graciously addressed each and every reservation. It's the attitude of his heart that now makes him burn. But even in his anger, God is full of grace. And he graciously provides his brother Aaron to go with him and to speak for him. God says, and you can almost sense the exasperated tone in God's voice. He's like, oh, I've had it. I've had it with you, Moses. But okay, fine, all right. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? Is he good enough for you? You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. Like Moses, we are so easily inclined to respond to God's call with a lukewarm heart and a timid spirit. Like Moses, when God calls, we're so quick to say, Lord, send someone else to do it. You know, someone else will share the gospel with my neighbor. Someone else will mend the wounds of the broken. There are people better equipped to do that than me. Someone else will visit the lonely shut in. Someone else will serve in this ministry. There are plenty of other bodies out there. Somebody else will step up, and maybe in a different season, maybe in a different time of life, maybe it'll be my turn down the road. But somebody else send somebody else right now, and I'll I'll, I'll come around. You know, come back around to me next time down the line. Someone else will give for the kingdom. Someone else will make disciples. And like Moses, we need to learn that when God calls, he will equip us with all that is needed to carry out his call. And then we might train ourselves when God calls to say, here I I am, here am I, send me. The demands of discipleship are indeed daunting. But what we see in Moses is how graciously and how sufficiently God provides. When God called Moses to go and to lead his people out of Egypt, he didn't just call. And in fact, he never just calls. He always, always, every single time, he always equips. He gave Moses all that was necessary to accomplish what he had called him to do. And he does the same for us. There's nothing too risky. There's nothing too demanding. There's nothing too challenging for God to accomplish through us. And so as we head into a new year, may we be ready to respond with faith and trust when God calls and God will call. God is calling. May we learn to say with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's bow together. Oh, Lord, as we come before your throne in this time of silent prayer and response, Lord, speak to us as we come before you and give us discernment to know how you are calling us right now. And, Lord, give us courage to respond with faith and trust. Lord, hear our prayers. Oh, Lord, give us hearts of wisdom to discern your call upon our lives. And give us hearts of courage and faith and trust to respond obediently to the call. May we do so, O oh Lord, for your glory.